0: Welcome to Northridge Church Podcast. Thank you for tuning in today. For more information, visit us online at northridgethomaston.com. Now prepare your heart as we dive into God's word. I was uh, just kind of surveying in my own heart what God was saying about this shift as I shared with you right before we started, but I feel like whether you've been saved for a long, long time, been in church most of your life, or whether you're new to the faith, it's, it's unmistakable that there's something in the air, that something's transferring, something's kind of uh, moving. I mean, we, you think about it. We, we shift all the time in our life. We, we shift in our seat. We shift from one place to the other. There's movement by those things that are living. Things that are dead, they don't move, right? But things that are alive, they move from place to place. Our moods shift. Somebody come on and say amen right there, right? And And our temperament, our worship, everything we do, there's a movement that you can see from a distance. And, and with, with that, I just find it very interesting that the church, especially from where I'm sitting, you can see a hunger, a stirring, if you will, in the hearts of people that they're wanting to find out more. They're wanting to go deeper. They're wanting to uh, research more. They're wanting to be in more Bible studies and things of that nature. For you to be here today tells me that. And, and so when I look at our, our our the cross-section of our church moving into 22, I realize that there's a shift in our specific church. Um, and, and I want us to grab onto it. The Ecclesiastes writer says it this way. He says that there is a time and a season for everything under God's creation. And that would encapsulate shifting, changes. Change is ine- inevitable. It's the only constant in this life that we can be certain of, aside from, of course, Jesus Christ. But to know that change is gonna happen, it's inevitable. And as we live through it, how many of you love Krispy Kreme donuts? Krispy Kreme donuts, can I get a witness? Come on, somebody. I asked that a minute ago, and our, our youth pastor, I think, started speaking in tongues. So, uh, but you know, here's the thing: I, I'm not really a Krispy Kreme fan. I don't eat a lot of sweets, but but it's funny that when I'm riding down the road, and we pass one that says "hot." if Something stirs up inside of me, right? I mean, I feel like I have an appetite that grows in the moment, and I just want to pull in and stop and grab them. I and you know that's their marketing ploy because when it says hot, people just start pulling in by the dozens, right? Or if you're passing by some kind of a hamburger joint and they're outside grilling or a neighbor's grilling, it creates an appetite. And I started thinking about that. You know, that's really the way that our worship should be in a room. It should inspire people by being such a sweet aroma into God's nostril. If you look into the tabernacle, you realize when they placed upon the mercy seat of God in that inner court, the Holy of Holies, that blood sacrifice, the blood was applied to the mercy seat, the incense that burned inside that place, that there was a glory cloud, if you will. There was a Shekinah glory of God that would would permeate through that roof all the way up into heaven. And you can see the light, and it says that it was a sweet aroma into the nostrils of God. Why? Because he accepted it. It was received by him as satisfactory. And our worship today cannot be relegated to what happens right here on the stage or in that seat. It's something that you are. It's something that you do. It's a part of your life. It's a part of the fabric of your faith. But sometimes I wonder, can that stimulate, can that provoke other people like that hot sign on the Krispy Kreme or maybe nothing like that, but just to kind of give you an illustration, that is something that maybe when people are in a room where Jesus is being worshiped in spirit and in truth, He says, if I would be lifted up, watch this, he said, I would draw all men to myself. So I don't want you to think that I'm implying that your worship in the form of lifting your hands or singing out loud or whatever your worship looks like is that which is truly provoking people. But he says, when I'm lifted up, he said, I will begin to draw people to myself. So it's kind of a, he reciprocates that by other people starting to catch that wave of shift that's going on in the atmosphere. So I really want you to think about that today as we dive into this text. If you have your Bibles, I want you to turn with me to Isaiah chapter 43. Isaiah chapter 43, we're going to begin reading in verse 19. And I want you to think about this. Uh, You've heard a lot said that in light of things that we're seeing unfold, I've had so many people call and ask this. We're teaching through Revelation on Wednesday night, and remember I Precursor that teaching with, I do not think what we're seeing right now, of course, is the end time itself. I, I'm, I'm sure of that based upon the unfoldings of what's going to ha- happen. Uh, but I do think that they are precursors to it. I don't know if you saw on the news the other day they were talking about the the uh, COVID vaccination uh, implant is now is now being done. I mean, I've, so many times I've seen all these false things that are spread. They was actually on the news the other day, and you, you know if it's on the news, it's got to be true, right? So I just want you to be open to and aware to what is happening around us with regards to things like that. So here's what I here's what I want to propose to you, based upon apocalyptic literature. There's nothing else prophetically that has to happen for Jesus to come back and to call his church home. Period. There's not one single prophecy that's been left unfulfilled at this moment. That clock really started in 1948 in the month of May when. Israel became a nation. And then 1967, during the Six-Day War, when they defeated all the Arab nations around, and then the Israelites, the Jews, God's people, began to go back and live there. And then even more recently, when we see Jerusalem being made the capital, Israel. So there's a lot of things that we have to be mindful of. So here's what I think. Either that's happening before us, and and, and the framework is being prepared, and that's the shift, or We're about to see the greatest revival, the greatest awakening this world has ever known, or both. Both is about to happen. I don't know that. There's no way we can know that. But I do feel like there's something stirring in the air. I feel like it's starting to, the more young people I talk to, I find out that there's more hunger. And yet it's interesting that the statistics show that they're leaving the church by the dozens, right? 83% of the church four years ago would graduate out of high school and leave the church forever. That, that trend is shifting for the first time in 2021. And that's interesting because there's a pandemic. Maybe that motivated it. I don't know. Maybe that threw up the warning signs, but I want to read to you because this is kind of the, the, the preemptive strike I want to make on this message today. If you will stand with me as we read God's word, Isaiah chapter 43, the Prince of the prophets, Isaiah in verses 19 through 20. And I think we have it on the screen, but please go back and read this in your own time. And counterbalance this against your own study. Listen to what he says. For I am about to do something new. See, I have already begun. And and that is where I'm kind of getting the idea of this shift. And of course, he's speaking to the children of Israel. There was a movement going on. There was something happening, catastrophe, chaos at every corner. But he says, I want you to see that I'm about to do something new. He said, in fact, I've already begun. Do you not see it? In one part of the the Gospels, it says that you can tell when it's about to rain by the smell of the rain in the air before it comes. But how can we not discern uh, the times? How can we not discern what's going on aside from that? And he says this. This is his promise. He says, I will make a pathway through the wilderness. Wilderness means time of testing, time of separation. I will create rivers in a dry wasteland. The Bible says those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, they will be what? They will be satisfied, they will be filled. And then he said, the wild animals of the fields will thank me, the jackals and the owls too. The Bible even says that the rocks will cry out and worship the Lord. And I've heard it said and I agree. I don't want any rocks crying out in my place. Amen, somebody? Listen, I believe that we have an opportunity in this season to worship him in spirit and in truth. And this is what he says for giving them water in the desert. Yes, here it is. I will make rivers in the dry wasteland so my chosen people can be refreshed. Now, before you jump off and say, okay, yeah, but God's chosen people are the Jews. And you're absolutely right. But we understand that because the Jews rejected Jesus as Messiah, then that promise of land, seed, and blessing, Abrahamic covenant, was transferred to the Gentiles so that all may know. That's you and I as well. And so when we read that last sentence, he said, I will make rivers, river is always a presence of God, in a wasteland so my chosen people can be refreshed. I want you to bow with me as we pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, that you would refresh your church. And God, that as we're refreshed, that we would show others how to feast on you and how to drink from that living fountain that never runs dry. God, I pray in the name of Jesus today that you would help me to rightly divide this word with truth, with power, and with life-changing consequence for your glory and yours alone. And everyone said, amen. You may be seated. I have decided to call this message today simply making the shift. i want to give you three points of reference that I believe have to be calibrated in our spiritual journey in order to make this shift. It's something that you have to do. Number one, I believe that the making of the shift begins with our words. I believe that our words carry incredible amount of power and they carry an incredible amount of movement in our life depending on if they're good or bad shifting the atmosphere i want you to understand is not from the outside in let me say that again shifting in the atmosphere as it were spiritually is not something that happens out there and moves into my life it's something that starts inside of me not you but something inside of me and moves outward you have to understand it's its starting point and Here's why I say that, no matter how much praise mur- music you sing, no matter how much worship, no matter how much church attendance, no matter how much giving, no matter how much you clean your home, you expel things from your home, your kids are in order, your marriage is in order, and, until you make that deliberate choice to shift and to set your inner heart on the things of God, I don't believe that is going to be accomplished in your life. What does that mean? You have to look at what he's already done for you. You have to look at the promises that he's he's already laid before you. His promises that he says are yes and amen in him to the glory of God the Father. Look at what he's already fulfilled in your life. Look at what he's already doing. Look at what he's already saved you from. It's been said over the years that really and truly the story of Christmas was, was the greatest rescue mission man had ever known that God sent his precious son from heaven, he stepped into time, space, and matter, entered humanity, became the living word of God, and we beheld his glory, and then what? He took our sin upon himself as we shared this past Wednesday night. He didn't just die for your sin, he died as it, he became it, so that you could be made the righteousness of God through him. And if you look at that alone and say, hey, you know what, the Bible also says that he pursued me while I was yet a sinner, he died for me, and he still pursues me today. He still runs after my heart today. Still fail him every single day, and yet he's still there. He's still there forgiving me, renewing me, refreshing me. And and I I can't for the life of me understand if people don't know that kind of refreshing, how they exist in this life. It's it's absolutely befuddling to me to see how someone could live without that kind of peace in their heart. Not a kind of peace that you can give me, not a kind of peace that my wife can give me or my children or my grandchildren, but a kind of peace that only he can give you. And, and what I want you to hear again today is this, that not only the, the starting with our word, but understand you can say words until the cows come home, but it's not going to change until you, and change your, you change the inner man or woman and be ready to make that shift. Your words carry power. Listen to what he says in Luke chapter 6 and 45. The scripture teaches the heart and the mouth are intertwined, interconnected. Luke 6, 45, you've heard this a thousand times. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. What's in here comes out of here. That's why James says no man can tame the tongue. The problem was it wasn't a tongue issue, it was a heart condition. And, and what they're speaking, it's not a matter of taming this tongue, it's a deadly poison, it says. And, and that may sound frustrating to you as you try to, to, to kind of curb your, your language, if you will. But that's never gonna happen until you first change your heart. But then he goes on to say in Proverbs 18 and 21, he says there's life and death in the power of our tongue. So here's what, here's what I wanna connect with you. Then we think about a shift beginning with our words. We have to understand that what is in our heart comes out of our mouth. But isn't it true also that what we speak out of my mouth also affects our heart and the two become somewhat of a cycle? If we speak something, listen to me. If you speak death over you enough times, your heart is going to begin to buy into that. And then guess what? Then it's going to turn into a cycle. You'll speak more death. You'll speak more doom and gloom over yourself. It's like in a marriage, for example. Listen, if you think you're the only one having marital conflict and you speak that over your life, you're gonna feel like you're just out there lone ranger and everybody else is doing great because obviously it looks like it on social media. You know they must be madly in love. But the truth is, is when you, when you realize, hey, you know what? God ordained this. God brought me with this person. I'm going to love them with my whole heart. I'm going to do everything I can to pull this thing through. I understand that there are times that that can't happen because it takes two people to make that work. But but what I'm referring to more than anything else is, is, is the idea that the stakes are absolutely so high in relation to the words that you speak. Listen, you can even either live out death each day by the words that you speak, condemnation, hatred, gossip, speaking over your own life or speaking over others. I believe if you speak it over other people, it's reciprocated back to you. I truly believe that. And you can't get away with it with that personal close friend or with your spouse. You know, I wouldn't say this to anybody else, but let me tell you this. And that's something that we have to be mindful of. I believe that our words can invite a shift or it can stifle the move of God in your life, the shift, as it were, depending on the words that you're speaking. In fact, if you look in the scripture in Genesis, do you realize that the word was the precursor to all of creation? That God stepped out on nothing and said, let there be, and there was. Think about that for a moment. Think about that he holds his word above his own name. Think about that when heaven and hell and the earth, all the things will pass away, but his word will remain. Think about it in that context of the words that we speak. We, we call this his living word. We, we, it's, it's organic. It's, it's sharper than two-edged sword. Everything about the word, the word was in the beginning. It was God and the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory. So if, if that's true with his word and we're created in his likeness and his image, then make no mistake about it, the words that we speak have incredible, incredible r- ramifications, good or bad. And again, I want, I want you to hear me. Just speaking life-giving words will not shift the atmosphere in your physical home. Just speaking life will not shift the atmosphere in your relationship. Just speaking life will not ignite new passions in your faith journey. You must also believe those words and know that they are the will of the living God. I want you to hear this. And I don't want you to think this to be normative, but I want you to hear me. We spoke about um, Jacob and Leah and Rachel several weeks ago. But what I didn't say to you was something that really kind of just out of that sermon, God revealed to me and it blew me away. There was a point that Laban had made about 14 promises to this guy and had broke them all. So he had to live, of course, there and and raise the cattle and work around the house and this, that, and the other. At some point in time, God revealed to Jacob that he was going to bless him even through all of what he was doing. So he told him to separate the, the solid color animals, move them to one side, and then the spotted striped ones and move them to the other side. And, and the fact was, is at that time, the solid color was more purebred, and they, they were something that they would have been much more sought after. So he told Laban, he said, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to work the fields. I'm going to work this, the livestock. All of these, these plentiful, much bigger in number, they were stronger. Everything about them was more desirable. So he told him, he said, all of these are yours, but any that I can create to be spotted or, or, or any other type of discoloration in their coat, he said, I, I will say that those are mine. Those are the ones I will take with me. But if I take any of these, let it be known that I'm stealing from you. And Laban said, absolutely. But in that, and again, don't, don't mistake what I'm about to say, because God impressed that upon Jacob, that Jacob took a poplar branch And he cut stripes in it. He he removed the bark in a striped sequence. And he set those poplar branches that were striped in front of the feeding and the water troughs of those animals. And as it were, that which they meditated on when they would receive the food and receive the drink, the sustenance of their life, it would so impress upon them that they started to bear offspring that were, were spotted and striped and discolored. And not only that, because this was God's blessing upon them, they were also the strongest, and in sheer numbers, they were—they were the mother—the uh, mother cows and, and goats were putting out more animals, like three to one. So that when it was all done, and you could call this the power of positive thinking, in which case you would be wrong. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm saying that if God says, I'm going to make it through you, you're going to make it. You're coming out of this, and you put that in front of you as you feast on God, and as you drink from the fountain of living water, and you start to believe it, and you speak it over your life because God's already spoken into you, the shift will be that you will start to reflect that in the way in which you walk. You will see it change. Can anybody testify to the fact that there has been times where all evidences showed one thing, but you set your affections and your heart on the things above and you saw yourself come out of that thing? Anybody else in the room? Alan, you've seen it? Listen, and I'm gonna tell you, I'm not talking about just some normative name it, claim it. I'm saying if God has said, this is what I'm gonna do in you, I'm doing a new work, I wanna do it, and then you look at everything and you say, but look, there's no way this can be. Because look at what's unfolding, God. See, that's speaking death. It may not sound like it, but you're, listen, it's speaking fear. It's speaking the absence of faith. And listen to me. When you're afraid and you have fear that's relegating your life and determining decisions that you make, You can't just step over here and because of the absence of fear think this thing is gonna turn around. No, you gotta lean into God's promises. You gotta speak his life, giving word over your life. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidences of things not seen. Consider yourself in a bad situation. Remember when the spies went into Jericho. You, You remember the story? perception is we are grasshoppers and they are giants. Ten of the spies came back and that's what they said. And that's what they would have lived out. But it's interesting. There's another dynamic happening unbeknownst to them. Joshua and Caleb said, this land is flowing milk and honey. This is amazing. This is going to be great to grow our crops in. Oh yeah, we can take this city. Let's roll. Because the truth of it is, is God had already told them it belonged to him. Do you see the difference? It's, it's God has already told them it's yours and, and all they had to do was possess it. In fact, that's what the whole book of Joshua was about, It's about possessing. How many times has God tried to give us something? He's told us it could happen, but we look over here and say, yeah, we're just mere grasshoppers in the sight of the giant that I stand before. Why, why was it that those two saw something different? But let me, let me go one step further. Do you remember what Rahab told those two when, he hid, when she hid them in, the, in their home? She said, hey, because of what these people around here have been hearing, they're afraid of you. See, that was what was being told and the words that were being spoken over them. And I believe with all of my heart that based on the music you listen to, based on the podcast you listen to, based on the movies you go see, based on the the environment of influences that you allow to be around you and to speak into your life, that's gonna permeate your heart. That's gonna determine who you think you are and that's what you're gonna begin, begin to speak. But if you begin to filter that, and I'm gonna show you how in just a moment, but let me give you the second one. Not only does it begin with our words, secondly, making a shift is revealed in my worship. You gotta own your part to this thing. My, my, listen, God's done his part. And he said, it is finished. It's settled. He's, he's done. If he did nothing else, he's already done enough to redeem us. He's already made the way where there wasn't no a way. He's already bridged the gap. And now it's our response to that. That's what worship is. And we got to own our part. I promise you this. If your worship in your home is real, it'll shift in your home. And if your worship at home is real and it shifts in your home, when you come into the house of God, you will see a different church. Did you notice the the, the point of origin? I didn't say if these guys up here worship was authentic at home. Oh, that's incredibly important, but it's no more important than yours. If you worship the Lord in spirit and in truth in your home and you're speaking life and adoration and you're, you're, you're giving him the honor and the glory that he so richly do. And then you're pumped and your worship has been authentic and you walk into the house of God and you're already your worship was on before you got here. You, you can't decide to worship God at five minutes after nine. You've you got to do that every single day of your life, somebody. Come on. You've got to prepare your heart. You've got to redeem the moment. Hey, what if he comes back on a Thursday afternoon at 930? Are you, you going to be found worshiping? Are you going to be found complaining? If you feel in a crappy mood, and you feel drama building, and you begin to feel down, excuse yourself. Like, I, love, I love what Jesus did every single time a crowd began to just begin to move in on him. You know what he would do? He would separate himself and he would go get along with the Father. What a, what a wonderful example that was of King Jesus to separate himself and get along with the Father to be able to marinate in his will for him. See, see he said this over and over again. He said, I, I have come to fulfill the will of the Father who has sent me. Keeping in mind the whole time he is fully God. So we see this as an example of how our worship should look like, does anybody else ever ever have a bad day? Ever. Okay, do you ever feel in a kind of a crappy mood? Ever. Some of y'all are in such a crappy mood you can't even raise your hand because you don't want me telling you to raise your hand because you're in a crappy mood. But here's the thing. You know what you need to do? You need to call it out. You need to own it. And you need to take it to his throne. You need to call out the fact that you're the one having... Can I tell you something? It ain't everybody else's fault that you're in a crappy mood. My goodness, I need to say that again. That sounded good, didn't it? It hurt a little, but nonetheless. Listen, if you're giving people authority like that over your life, shame on you. But listen, and I say this respectfully, I've said this to my wife, so I'll certainly say it in here. You're not the reason that the sun shines on my life. Neither is my wife, my children, well, my grandkids, kind of, sort of. You know what I'm saying? But here's the deal. I am a child of the king. I'm gonna live forever. There is nothing in this life that can take away what he's given me, and that alone gives me reason to have joy unspeakable. I mean, and I, I know... But listen, when you're in a crappy mood and you feel like just, you don't want to be, David, you ever been in that? You walk in, David, David David wears it. If he's in a bad mood, and he very rarely is. But you can see it and I'm the same way. I walk in and Tracy goes, okay, what's wrong? I'm great. She goes, no, you're not. I'll see you in about an hour. But see, here's what I want you to do. If you're feeling that and you do, you feel it coming up in you, separate yourself, call it out for what it is, own it, it's not their fault, it's not her fault or his fault, it's you. And then give it to Jesus, lay it down at the feet of his throne and say, God, take this. Listen, let me, here's what I wrote. Here's what I, I've prayed this prayer so many times. Holy Spirit, your word says you live in me and I am your temple. I do not want to partner with anything that is not from you. I ask you to be my shield, my right hand and my buckler. I give you this feeling or this person right now. May your peace reign in this room, in my life, and in my heart. I invite your presence and your blessings in the name of Jesus. Do you know what the most important part of that is? God, I am choosing today not to partner with anything that's not from you. Because if you partner with it, if you entertain it, what was it, David? If you entertain it, it enters, right? If you entertain it, it enters. How many of y'all remember the sermon I preached on, on the evil spirits several weeks ago? Okay, good. Three of you. It really took root. I'm praising God for that. But there was a there was a, a, a dear lady who was having situations in her home where, um, and I won't get into the details, but I just want to show you how easy this is to happen, that her her, her precious husband had passed and she was um really struggling with feeling like he was he was in the home and just being tormented and 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 of course, if you know scripture, you know that her her husband, your loved one, my father, they're not in the home they're with king jesus right and and the Bible tells us explicitly in five different places it tells us in Deuteronomy, Leviticus and several places of the Old Testament that we're not to entertain uh things that are dead we're not to through a medium, we're not to talk to mediums or, or, or whatever you want to call them to speak to our loved ones. You say, well, Mark, I, you know, I, I really think that when you see this Long Island medium, you know, this girl, she's really connecting because she's telling them, Think, let me tell you something. It's demonic. It's only demons. It's only evil spirits. How do they know stuff? Because they know what's going on. They know what they hear. They know what they see. They watch it around you. And this woman was being tormented. Do you know why? Because the first moment that she felt the quote unquote presence of her dead husband in the home, she wanted to believe that. So it was easy to say, hey, honey, is that you? Guess what she did at that moment? And bless her heart, precious, precious woman. She knew in that moment that she entertained it. So when you start talking to this stuff, you invite it and it enters in. And then you gotta draw the line and evict it. Well, the same is true with your own heart. You gotta allow yourself to not partner with things that are not of God. And then thirdly, as the band makes their way back up, making a shift requires you to declutter. Now, what's the first thing you think about when I say declutter? Declutter your home. That's it, that's number one. Declutter your home. I'm talking about physical stuff. Can, can I give you a piece of advice? If you have shoes that you're not wearing, instead of selling them for $3.50, give them to somebody who don't have shoes. I'm just, that's just a thought of mine. I just feel like just passing on. The Bible said if you have two shirts and a man needs one, you give him one. Okay, it, it, would, it, it would go a lot quicker than, than doing another thing. Just, just be a blessing. Give it to somebody. Listen, if you got stuff in your house you're not using, get rid of it. What we used to do when our kids were small, we would uh, I think on Christmas Eve is when we would do it. It might have been the night before Christmas Eve. We would get all of their toys together that were in great shape, that they were no longer playing with, and we would take them to homes and we would let them hand them out to other children that didn't have Christmas that year. It was the most amazing thing to watch our children do that. I mean, we'd have a whole back of our truck full of stuff, and we'd just go hand it out. And, and, and sure, they were making room for stuff, and I get that, but it was just such a great pass-it-on kind of thing. Declutter your home. How many of you feel like when you get your car washed, your car drives better? It really don't. But you feel better about it, right? Okay? Um, the same is true for your home. Do you, do, you know, do you know why you can't rest? Your house is probably cluttered. Do you know why you're, you're irritated you don't really know why? Because you, you got stuff sitting around that you don't engage anymore, you don't entertain. The best thing to do is just de- declutter it. Secondly, uh, in declutter, I, I believe this is important. Declutter some of your relationships. I, I'll say it this way. I'm, I'm gonna go ahead and say it. You're gonna lose some people in your life. Friendships, relationships, you're gonna lose some. Some are gonna come and they're gonna go. Very rarely do we end up finishing with those who we started with, and I'm not talking about marriages. I'm talking about in life. I mean you I, if you were to say how many friends did you have in high school I mean you' probably know, oh I meant like forty. How many friends you got now like two? You see the difference but 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 let me let me go one step further. Can I say this to you in in love and respect? there might be some people in your life you need to to lose. I say that respectfully. But I wrote down the reason I believe that is because I'm not gonna let other people become a catalyst to my behavior. We need to stop being a thermometer and start being a thermostat. We need to set the tone for the people around us as a child of the most high God. I'm not talking about being better than. I'm not talking self-righteousness. But we need to be the ones to set the temperature in the room based on us setting our affections to God. That's the only thing we can truly offer people. Quit being a thermometer. and start being a thermostat. Start allowing God to work through you. Set that atmosphere around you with the attitude rather than allowing the attitudes around you to determine the temperature of your own heart. If, if you say this when you come home with, from a friend, that they make you feel bad, that they don't pull the best out of you, It it might be time to question why it is you keep going back into that relationship. Because I don't believe for one minute that if if it's not causing you to grow, that that's something God would have you to partner with. I'm, I'm not suggesting that you can't fix them. You might can help them. But more times than not, it's just gonna pull you down. I hope you receive this in the right frame of heart. But the truth of it is, this: if we coexist in this, in, I don't know about y'all, but probably the one pet peeve I have, if I have any, is I cannot be around negativity at all, at all in any form. It just, it's just as easy to be positive as it is to be negative, maybe hopelessly, maybe unrealistic, optimist, you can call it what you will. But the thing of it is, it's just as easy to see the, half, the cup is half full, much easier and it feels better than to see it as half empty. There are some people, they're not happy unless they're unhappy. And negativity just breeds negativity. And it does wear off on you. And so I want to encourage you to be careful and mindful. And maybe one step further, your influencers. Declutter your influencers. Who's influencing you? What are you listening to? Who's speaking into your life? What books are you reading? Don't permit soul-destroying words into your space. That which you repeatedly hear, you will entertain. What you entertain you will believe what you believe will be your destiny. Partaking in these things or agreeing to feel how they make you feel. Remember I told you, you got to own it. If the relationships and influences in your life are causing you to feel negative and causing you to feel bad about yourself, causing you to feel less than, causing you to feel inadequate, then there, there's, you're making that choice to allow that feeling to permeate your heart by continuing in it. And again, I'm not, I'm not talking husband and wife here. I understand that there might be some you know, some counseling or something, but I'm talking about just general relationships. Husbands and wives are different because I, I, I counsel people a lot with that and, and I've heard them say, well, I just don't love him anymore. Okay, that's cool, I get that. There's definitely a cycle that you will go through where you will not love your spouse. You will merely tolerate them. I'll go ahead and give you that. But did you love them at one point in time? Sure did. Oh man, I was, he was amazing. If you loved them then and you don't love them now, don't you think there's a really good chance that you could cycle back around and just adore them? Stephanie and I have been married 32 years. And there's times I don't even know how in the world we made it through another day. And now there's just a love and an adoration that I can't even explain with words. Can can anyone relate to that after lots and lots of years of just, just sticking in there, even when you didn't feel like sticking in there? What about this one? You need to declutter your mind. Your mind is a battlefield. It's the very place that the enemy's gonna attack you. He can't touch you, but he can coerce what you think and how you believe take time every day, every single day to sit in silence and to sit in solitude with the Lord. Learn to be okay with the person in the mirror because God is okay with that person. Learn to be okay with you. Learn to be okay with your weight. You know, the Bible says that physical exercise profits little. Did you know that it says that? The gods, I'm not suggesting that that's not important. Gluttony is, is a deadly sin for sure. And I think there's a balance and imbalances we need to get ourselves in. But, but how many people live their life in this vicious cycle of weight loss, weight gain, weight loss, weight gain, weight loss, weight gain, go back and forth, and all the while they miss the most important relationship is, is that which is in their heart? There's a good chance every person in this room under the sound of my voice watching if you could you would change two or three things about yourself I sure would I would change some things you would too but what if just just what if what if that's just kind of who you are what if what if just having the shape of nose that you have is, is I said that because I don't think anybody here has a strangely shaped nose so I threw that one out and looking What if your weight? What if that's just, you know, do the best you can do, man. Eat healthy, but don't obsess about it because that too can be out of balance. And that's why the frustration constantly, constantly ensues. And it's a cycle and it's a vicious one. So when I say declutter your mind, take time to sit alone. Most of my life, I I was a person that couldn't be alone. I I didn't like it. it. It was haunting if I could even go that far if my wife or my children or, or friends or whatever, everything I've ever done has been around people. And it just was something that I just pushed back from. And probably the last 10 years, maybe, I've learned to embrace that in a big way. Now, when I start to feel myself kind of go through some things, I'll, I'll jump on one of the vehicles and I'll ride down through the property, go sit at the lake and look at the lake and just kind of talk to the Lord. Go sit in a deer stand and we have a gun. You know, weird stuff like that. You know, just 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 to be alone with Him. What was the last time you spent alone time with the Lord? Really, when was it? Don't let it be just you ride down the road on the way to work. Although that's a great time. Or in the shower. But be intentional about separating some time. And then I, I want to leave you with this. I want to leave you with this because because I think if I didn't leave you with this this ultimate aha. So so Mark, if it's my worship, if it begins with my words and and, and there's a declutter, then what do I put in there that invites that shift more than anything else? Paul answered this question to the church at Philippi. He wrote this to them while he was in prison. Now listen to what he said, because you can imagine the things that were going on in his mind. God, I've served you and here I am. God, I've worshiped you. I've traded in everything and I'm in prison. He didn't say that. Listen to what he said. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of a good rapport, if there's any virtue, if there's anything praiseworthy, listen to what he says. Meditate on these things. There's eight of them. Noble, true, just, pure, lovely, for good report, virtuous, and praiseworthy. Eight things. Eight is the number for new beginning. The shift happens in our life and we go from who we used to be to who God wants me to be. That's that's the reason for the shift. Again, the shift is not some outward thing where, where just a bunch of people are, are, are expressing themselves in a new form of worship. A shift in the atmosphere, a shift in my heart it's when I see Jesus for who He is. He's the King of kings and Lord of lords. He's my all in all. He's the lover of my soul. He, he truly loves me. He died for me. He's my intercessor. He's my, my groom and I'm His bride. And I know that for men may be kind of hard to say that, but just to know that there's, a, there's an intimacy that can be had. He's the author and the finisher of my faith. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's the one true constant when everything else is forever changing. He's the complement to my broken soul. He's the hope when I have none. He's the life in, in the midst of my death. He's the healer of my soul. With every head bowed and with every eye closed, what if there's a shift coming? What if there's a move? Are you gonna be ready for it? When you stand before God, will He really be able to say, "Well done," that good and faithful servant? See, it, 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 that is not reflective merely on your salvation, because in that case He would be thinking Himself. See, this is about things that we've done for His glory—works, as James calls it—not because we have to, but because it's a reflection of our faith. Well done. You good and faithful servant. What are you you doing that's truly reflective of God in you? What are you doing for his glory? Is is it well with your soul today? Can, Can you say, though he slay me, yet shall I trust in him? You see, I can say that today because even in my greatest losses... I've seen his greatest grace. Thank you for joining us today at Northridge Church. We hope today's message inspired you in your walk with God. We hope you take your next step by connecting with us online at NorthridgeThomaston.com.